Yeah, so with our uh, arguing with Reddit segment, uh, though we have Reddit in the name, we do not always get cool things from Reddit, just internet in general, although mostly from Reddit. Normally we have the other, other members of the show pick out uh, kind of hot or controversial topics or opinions that they find on Reddit or other parts of the internet and present them to the other person, person who's uh, doing the segment. And, well, in, in this case, it's me. So presumably mo- most going to be musical things. And I haven't seen these things. And I get to re- respond to these kind of controversial, you know, opinions, posts, whatever you want to call them, live. And you get to hear my thoughts on them. And, yeah. So that is our arguing with Reddit. Now we're introducing this. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to ask... Uh, um, Oh, hey, there's a lot of conversation going on. That's awesome to see. <laughs> no, we're not canceling the podcast. See, I knew the title would uh, the title would make it sound like something bad was happening in the podcast. That's why I gave the disclaimer at the opening of the segment. Um, so, no, nothing bad is happening in the podcast. Only good things. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, what we do with this argument with Reddit, hopefully uh, Nathan can make a badge in the future. We're going to have this uh, cool thing. If we, if you're, you're, this is the criteria. So if you want to submit your hot takes about film, media, music, uh, gaming, whatever, the criteria, and sorry that you can't see my face again. Uh, it's kind of weird, but <laughs> the criteria is that it has to be both uh, a hot take. Actually, it can't be, you know, um, you know something that is you know just somewhat disagreeable an actual hot take that you get one of us to fully agree with and that will get you a badge on discord so <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll make that badge we'll make that work with nathan uh but there'll be a cool audio effect and everything that happens uh happens with it whenever it happens when we whenever we find the perfect hot take so <laughs> cool anyway i uh, interrupted the process here so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hideously pull up uh, these hot takes at random. Uh, ben has not seen them, and then we'll get his uh, live reaction to them. So here we go. <laughs> person said 19 days ago, join Fiverr, one of them. Can, can you explain yeah. this? Dude? Yeah, so, so the reason why it's only that is because I couldn't capture the original post in the screenshot without capturing much of other stuff in the middle, like in between. So I'll just say... Um, in general, the original post was on r slash filmmakers, actually, and it was from a composer looking to boost his composing portfolio. Um, and he says he's a 20-year-old composer from the UK looking to build a portfolio of cinematic slash film music that actually doesn't fit uh, that actually doesn't fit in my Google Drive collecting dust. Okay. Uh, it actually gets used by filmmakers. Uh, so essentially practical stuff. And he said he's willing to work for absolutely free. Uh, but yeah, so I so, sort of is a two-part, two-part thing. So one is how, what are your feelings on Fiverr as a portfolio building? And then I'll weigh in on that at the end because I've used Fiverr before. I've been on it um, and I have some thoughts. <clears throat> and uh, the second thing is, what do you think about uh, composers working for free for just resume building? So so one of the things that technology has done is that it is allowed, it has lowered the bar you know, to entry in a lot of these technologically driven artistic fields like music and filmmaking. Uh, I, I imagine Irving would probably agree with that. Yes. On the filmmaking side. So what has happened in the composition world is that um, because the bar that 
you know, entry is is really low, and the bar is in a lot of ways low, so low um, with technology that you don't really need to know that much about. You don't have to have studied composition formally in you know in a classical manner to to go off and be a film composer. You can just buy a chord pack. Yeah, <laughs> and and even if you do know things, I mean. The, the the ease of accessing technology, the ease of like I don't need to hire an orchestra to record my music. I, you know my sample libraries, I mix them properly, will sound decent enough, right? That's what's used in a lot of television. You know, not live musicians. So if it's good enough for like you know prime time television, then it's good enough for me to use you know on my own. It makes it much easier for people to enter the field. And as a consequence, so many people are in the field right now, far more than any time in the kind of life cycle so far of uh, of film music. It's not that long of a history, you know, it's about like 80 some years, we'll say, maybe about 90 years. Um, but yeah, the you know, it's not just like the best, European composers coming over to Hollywood and in the golden age, right? Like three, you know, three or four guys like Steiner and Korngold. If you wa- walk around in LA, lots of people are composers in some way. I'm not just in LA. So as a consequence, um, the, uh, the amount of, of work is higher too because of the lower bar barrier for entry uh, in filmmaking, um, but there are probably fewer opportunities relative to the growth in the composition world uh, for like well-paying film jobs, film you know scoring jobs. So, uh, all that being said, you know I'm sure that there are and there are uh, you know at the lowest levels of, of filmmaking, uh, lots of filmmakers who are going to look at something like Fiverr or probably just about, you know, any other possible source of, of things out there. I've seen, you know, Facebook ads and things like that. Uh, you can post on, like, websites like mandymusic.com, all sorts of things looking for a composer. And you're probably not going to pay them if you're using one of the, one of your sources. Um, and in turn, hopefully, if you are a composer offering your services there, you know, you keep that in mind that this is not going to be um, Disney is not going to be looking for you on Fiverr. Okay, it's going to be someone who who is also probably the same relative spot in their career that you are, maybe a little bit ahead, maybe a little bit lower. And so there are probably some opportunities there. I'm not really sure I can speak to the quality of that because I haven't really tried it. I don't know that it's like the most common thing that uh, composers are trying. I will say that a lot of people who know a little bit more about um, what it takes to get into the industry probably are, you know, they may create an account, but that's not like the main way that you want to do it. Um, And it's changing a little bit, especially now in the pandemic world where, you know, so much is online and virtual. But really, the way that most composers go about these things is you, know, you want to make in-person connections. So you want to like go to film festivals and talk to the people, you know, filmmakers who made stuff that you thought was interesting. You, know, you want to do things like that. 
um, and getting, getting you know, personal connections. Again, with the pandemic, more stuff is done virtually. So, you know, I, I know I, I personally am not used it, so I don't know that I can't really speak to the quality of what you're probably going to find generally, but I'm sure there are plenty of lower level opportunities. Um, whether those are quality lower level opportunities, I don't know. Probably some quality, some not great quality. And sorry, what was the second question, Nathan? Uh, my second question was um, referring to the yeah, the post. You said that uh, he's willing to, do, to work for free. I was wondering uh, how you felt about essentially free work for resume building. Okay. So that's a very, very frequently uh, mentioned topic. And if you are a film composer, the best industry uh, group on Facebook is called Perspective. It got a lot of the, you know, tons of composers from all over the world and lots of really big name composers like Hans Zimmer and Lauren Balf frequently on there. Great resource if you can join that. And this topic comes up all the time and you get different answers from different kinds of people. Um, yeah, so let me just quickly look at some of these comments here. Yeah, oversaturation. I think a lot of people would say is a big problem in the uh, media music world right now. Yes, there's the issue of like, are there going to be more opportunities, um, especially with streaming services? Um, and there's, that's a whole host of other issues about, and we've talked about this briefly, um, but you know, there's lots of questions with streaming and all sorts of financial questions that nobody really knows the answers to because streaming companies keep everything so tightly under wraps that um, there's lots of dis disagreement in the industry about whether um, streaming royalties, you know, is it just that everyone's going to get less or, or everyone's going to get more money or whether the people at the top are going to make less money and the average person is going to make a little bit more money so that there's going to be, you know, lots of questions about that. Um, but but in general, people would say that, yes, there's two, uh, the market's kind of oversaturated. Is Fiverr mostly good for building a portfolio and not necessarily to make a living? Probably depends on what kind of industry you're talking about. Uh, I, I wouldn't, it's not going to hurt you, I don't think, you know, it, it, as a film composer, if you use it, unless you use it and come up with a, get involved in a project that, somehow damages your reputation, um, which is kind of hard to do, especially at that level, you know, you might burn some bridges with potential future collaborators, but you know, you're not likely to be involved in like a scandal or anything. Um, should you work for free? And again, lots of people have very different answers on this. What you should look for, I think, um, and I'm basing some of this, you know, from personal experience and also just from things I've read from all of these different people at various levels, much higher than me. Working for free is fine if you know what it's doing for you. If you, you know, if it either like fulfills something creatively for you, if you think it is likely to lead to, you know, more opportunities later in, in some fashion, you know, either building your portfolio or establishing a relationship with the director or producer, um, then, you know, those are things you want to consider. And if the answer is yes to those things, then it's probably fine to do. Um, you know, if you can only answer yes to one of those things, you have to think a little bit harder about it. And then, you, you, but you want to make sure that what you're getting into 
right? It's not like a, a bad contractual situation, which can happen, especially at lower levels. You know, people asking unreasonable things for you and not paying you. Um, people oh, absolutely. asking people, you know, trying to take too much ownership of your work. You know, there are standard, you know, things that you do to allow production companies to own rights, you know, for certain parts of your music, but you don't want to give up all of your rights to what you write. So, you know, you want to look for situations that are could be like abusive in that way, um, either contractually or they're, you know, they're going to ask unreasonable things if you like, no limits on edits at any point, you know, that sort of thing. So you want to make sure that if it's you're working for free, that it, it kind of fulfills some of those things, right? Creative fulfillment, um, which is not always possible, uh, further, you know, furthers your career in some ways, you know, more opportunities with re- relationships down the line or just building your portfolio. Um, so those are the things you want to think about. Yeah, I, I just want to add because I've also been on Fiverr. I've used Fiverr. Actually, I used Fiverr recently to get the uh, the <laughs> the um, voiceover stuff for the uh, for the channel. Um, but I've also been on Fiverr. Uh, I retired my Fiverr, you know, indefinitely, pretty much, because exactly what you said is exactly what I've found. You know, you don't want to get abused. You don't want a bunch of people who are underpaying you and don't appreciate what you're doing. I've had really good clients on Fiverr, some of which I've actually kept in touch with for long periods of time, actually. There's there's one person, actually, he was on the podcast. Uh, we interviewed him. His name is uh, Rob Sharma. You can go back and check out an interview I did with him. But I found him on, on Fiverr, through Fiverr, and uh, we're continuing to work with each other, and it's been continuing to be good for both of us, right, you know, going forward. And, you know, at the same time, most people... Uh, they're underpaying you and sort of moving on with their lives. And so in terms of at least the filmmaking side of things or like the editing or graphic design, those sorts of things, it definitely is like, you know, more of a portfolio thing than it, than it ever would be like a, a way to sustain yourself, um, at least for the average person, I would say. Um, and then the other thing too is that Fiverr takes a ton of your money, which is normal for these kinds of, uh, these kinds of platforms, you know, but in terms of long-term business making, you know, make creating a business for yourself, 20% off of your bottom line is huge. That's gigantic. You know, you'd have to either upcharge that 20, 20% to make it worthwhile or, you know, take the loss on that 20%, which is a big oof, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, I think you have to look at your own situation, maybe try it out, you know, if you want. Uh, but I think, you know, it really depends, and uh, you can definitely do without without it if you don't want to do it. Um, and if you do want to do it, really guard yourself. You know, make sure you make the terms extremely clear, like Ben said. Um, make sure you always have credit on the project. Whenever you, this is a this is a thing that in principle I think everyone should have is that if you are doing something underpaid, you should have maximum credit. So if you're like, you know, I mean really underpaid right so you're doing something on fiverr that's worth usually you know four times whatever you you put up you know four times whatever you're going to get actually you know put in your fiverr agreement that it requires that you get a huge credit at the end of the thing or that you get an imdb credit secured or whatever something 
to make sure that you're permanently attached to it as long as you're actually willing to stand by it. What I did for myself is I had an option that if you did not want to credit me, you know, for like, let's say editing or something at the end of it, or credit my company with my company logo at the end of it, end of it, you had to pay me a good amount of money, you know, and extra fees in order to get that done. So I would highly recommend that you make sure you get the piece that's important if you are underpaying yourself, which is the credit. So, and maximize that you know, as best as you can. Looks like we have a comment from Ron. Ron, he says, Fiverr seems like one of those things that's really, really good experiment in compensation for composite compensation for work. Uh, but maybe a situation where you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, basket as it were. 100% agree. 100%. That's exactly. Um, and there's plenty of other platforms as well. You just can't cross-pollinate on certain platforms, uh, which is kind of strange. But that is what it is. I've been on uh, Fiverr 2 for <clears throat> some period of time. I offered two types of services. Well, okay. The, the main one was uh, for when I used to do a lot of 3D modeling and stuff like that, uh, I offered a 3D modeling service for uh, 3D logos and uh, uh, logo animations and stuff like that. What was interesting is, well, one thing, you know, I found kind of sketches that the people in my space were uh, asking for not that much money. And, you know, it was like, it seems that, you know, I guess this is just uh, normal market forces, right? It's like whoever is going to whoever's gonna do the best, the best work and also uh, uh, ask for the least amount of money is going to get all the customers, right? But I feel like on Fiverr, there's like a ten- ten- tendency to undervalue yourself like by a good bit. Um, and a lot, of the, a lot of the people I see on Fiverr, I'm like, it's hard to compete with you because you're taking like no money. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's very odd. I think it maybe depends on the on like the area of work. Maybe three D modeling was especially bad. But uh, as for Fiverr's cut, technically Fiverr would take in the game dev world would take uh, less than almost every uh, game distribution's platform. So like Steam takes thirty <laughs> percent. Uh, I think GOG takes thirty uh, percent. Epic Games takes twelve percent. That's the exception. Uh, I believe. Xbox and PlayStation take a similar, I think they might take a little less than 30%. I can't quite remember, but 30% is like essentially standard, right? Uh, so, I mean, I still would never do a game dev fiber job as in make a whole game for me because I feel like one of the big problems is that uh, a lot of people don't know how much effort it takes to make a game. And I think that's the same with both music and movies. And so they might ask for something that's a bit unreasonable. Uh, and it's hard to explain to people in such a, uh, technologically involved and a mixed media like video games where there are so many different like aspects from you know the programming to the art to the sound might be kind of hard to explain to someone like okay i can't do this because xyz or whatever and they might not understand understandably right so uh yeah i wouldn't i mean on fiverr i might um do small parts of a job so like you know make this art for a game but i don't know about making a whole game it sounds a bit a bit sketchy yeah you're right like I just I just remembered that Steam takes like all your money, which really sucks. <laughs> and that's not even the same type of flat platform that Fiverr is, so that's pretty crazy. <laughs> cool. Next hot take. Um, but I think this is a conversation about the Beatles, which I th- I think Ben, you're a fan of the Beatles, right? I didn't get that wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, I like the Beatles. Okay, so this person's talking about the era and says. Many, many, many other groups from the era blow the Beatles out of the water. And then someone says, such as. (laughs) Um, And the answer is Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young come immediately to mind. And they give a whole bunch of other examples, including uh, The Doors, um, and on and on. And they think all those people are better than the Beatles. And I would like to know what your reaction is. 
Okay, so you want me to react to whether those bands are better than the Beatles? I don't know. What's your what's your general uh, opinion? Okay, know. or are are there groups that are better than the Beatles? Um. Okay, so for cultural impact, obviously the Beatles are 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 kind of at the top. Um. The other thing is they have a relatively long run in which they dominated the musical scene on multiple continents. And they do, a, within that run, they did a lot, right? If you listen to Please Please Me and you listen to the White Album, okay, they're completely different musical worlds. And, like, Sgt. Pepper is a different musical world than uh, Rubber Soul, right? Two albums that are, you know, next to each other chronologically. You know, they evolved with the times they forced music to evolve, uh, popular music, you know, and they had a really long run of dominance. And within that, yeah, I, sure, not all of their songs are, you know, do I think are like amazing. Um, but for the sheer volume of the songs they produced, uh, their quality is quite consistently high. I would say within their era. So, you know, if you're just saying like just generally the 60s, okay, I can find some, you know, bands maybe towards the tail end of that era, uh, kind of moving into the 70s that I think I enjoy more. But so specifically, yeah, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, not really my, my, my cup of tea. I don't really, I don't know the Charlie Daniels band. Uh, Deep Purple, I don't know terribly well. The Guess Who, also not really familiar with them. The Doors, I think the Doors are fascinating. Are they, a, I don't know, do I think that they, uh, using this person's language, uh, blow the Beatles out of the water? No, they do something very different, and it's very entertaining. Um, but I, I wouldn't listen, like, I need to be in a different mood to listen to them, you know, than when I want to listen to Beatles. Um, the bands, I would say, like, what I would say from, like, literally their era that is maybe the stiffest competition is probably the Beach Boys. And, I, you know, they would say that too, probably. But I would say, although in, in, in some ways I prefer the Beach Boys or just Brian Wilson, you know, uh, in general to them, you know, really, the the Beach Boys. I mean, they have some like classics in their surf period, but they're like Rubber Soul, not Rubber Soul. Sorry, their response to Rubber Soul, um, Pet Sounds. You know, a ama- truly amazing album. Um, and then Smile. You know, if you want to listen to like Smile Sessions, you know, reconstruct what Smile might have sounded like, or. 2004 brian wilson presents smile which is kind of the fulfillment of this unrealized project so i'll, I'll count that as 70s even though it technically came out in 2004 uh or 60s you know like that kind of peak right there i think is up there if not better than like the best of the beatles personally but overall, you know, when I say their quality is as consistently interesting as the Beatles, no, because you can only listen to so many, you know, I get around and fun, fun, fun and all that stuff. <laughs> only so much of that you can listen to before you kind of start losing your mind a little bit. 
and, and that might be a controversial <laughs> thing to say. Some people, you know, I kind of get I, I that. Enjoy that stuff, but like, you know, how many times can I listen to my little deuce coop? Not, not a million times. <laughs> so yeah, you know, from what I know of that era, and again, like I said, there's some people at the end of that era. Like I'm a, I'm a big James Taylor fan. Again, at the end of the era, Jethro Tull does some really fascinating stuff. Kind of directly after that, of course, I'm I'm a big Steely Dan fan, thanks to uh, my brother in particular. They're kind of you know mostly starting in '70, you know, so kind of very end, tail end of that Beatles era. So I don't know. I I would say I don't think. There are a whole bunch of bands from that era that blow the Beatles out of the water. There are some bands that I think are fascinating and, and interesting, do different things or similar things like uh, Moody Blues as kind of, you know, takes their, their vibe. But I don't think anyone blows them out of the water. Cool, cool. Yeah, I have nothing to say about this era. I'm very unfamiliar with it. Same. <laughs> I, I admit that I'm not the most knowledgeable, but from from the knowledge that I do have, I yeah. Uh, well, that's my that's my take on that. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, I just saw Beatles, and I was like, I think I think Ben would have some things to say about it. <laughs> um, let's see, what's this last one here? So, uh, oh yes, yeah, so I, I found this one as well. And uh, let's see. Okay, so have you noticed that some of the TV shows the background music is so loud it's hard to hear what's being said? I picked it because uh, I could speak on that as well. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Okay. So if we're talking about like uh, primetime, you know, TV, honestly, I'm probably not the right person to ask because, you know, I don't know if uh, Stephanie Costello is going to comment on this or not, but mostly what I know about like primetime TV and like general, you know, traditional TV TV versus like streaming service TV is like stuff that she watches in the background or she's watching and you know when I'm home and I, I kind of see it from the here from the background while I'm doing something else um, so but I don't really watch a whole lot of like you know syndicated TV shows uh, so I'm not necessarily the best person to ask about that uh, you know I, I do know some stuff about streaming uh, so but from my experience with like LMN or something, you know, that I, I know Stephanie Costello watches. I don't know. It doesn't really seem that different from film, except that I'm more likely to notice it when I'm in the background because I don't know, maybe just because I, I don't really watch films, you know, or like take in films, you know, while I'm doing something else. So I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like it's any different than what I would see you know from watching a, a film in the same space yeah yeah i mean so one thing i can say is like i think this person i feel like the immediate thing that came to mind <laughs> when this person wrote this take was law and order <laughs> this is a very random thing because i heard the show uh, uh recently uh when i was at my parents place for uh, thanksgiving um <laughs> and the music is extremely loud and oppressive <laughs> and it really depends it on is, what is it okay. as bad as dune though i i haven't seen dune yet that's no, that i is... haven't i haven't either but all anyone i know composers 
um, other musicians. Anyone I know who's seen it, first comment is that it is the loudest soundtrack, you know, proportionally to anything else. And like you have, you need to wear earplugs if you see it in a theater. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> is it so? It's a negative. It's being taken negatively. <laughs> the the uh, relative yeah. levels, especially especially if you don't, you know, it's not like the greatest sound reproduction system and you don't have earplugs. Ah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the other thing too, I have to say about TV is that things are mixed in such a way often so that it appeals to the lowest common denominator system. And one thing that really bugs me, and I think people don't realize this is where the medium of, uh, you know, video based art is going is that once we start putting everything in the home entirely, where systems are, frankly, really poor, everything is going to be made to the lowest common denominator natively. Like, you won't have a version of a film, let's say, that, uh, that can be played, you know, on a high-end you know, system being produced for Blu-ray if the demand absolutely dries up, right? So they're just going to mix it and save the hours and hours. It takes a long time. Um, to do, you know, whatever point surround sound a, a the average theater is, and then have to mix that down into, uh, you know, five point surround sound or something, you know, whatever, six point, whatever it is on a Blu-ray, um, you know, and then as we move over to mobile entirely, it, it may even be uh, worse. Why do, you, why do you guys think that it's ignorance trying to increase auditory hype? Um, if you're, I don't know why in terms of Dune. Dune, if he's talking about Dune, I don't know if you have any insight yeah, on that. I haven't, I haven't seen Dune, so I don't know. Okay, yeah, I have no idea about Dune, but for TV, I think, yeah, like I said, it, it, it depends on the particular thing. You know, Law and Order, it's really loud, and another short, uh, another show, it's going to be like you know really quiet. Um, but I think it does err on the loud sound, and usually music is not good, which is why. I would recommend it being so loud for TV because usually the music is not good. Um, I don't know if you've heard Law and Order music, uh, Ben. No. Well, it's no. not much music. It's very oppressive and droning and amorphous and like you know. Which yeah, yeah it's I just mean, like it's like a it's like one long feeling essentially. Uh, <laughs> so so to be fair though, like television music is a very different field than film music writing for a lot of different reasons. Um, but the main one is that, uh, you know, in the United States, at least, I know it's different in other countries, but in the United States, you know, you're working on a project and basically you are, you know, there's so little turnaround, such, such you know, little turnaround um, from when you're, you're given you know, what you have to score and, you, you know, the, the spotting, right, where music is needed. Um, Trevor Morris, it's a Canadian, mostly TV composer, not a film composer, has a great YouTube channel. There's a lot of fascinating stuff. Um, I'm not, my mind is blanking on some of the big stuff he's done, but, you know, important TV composer. Um, he has some great videos contrasting film composing with TV composing, you know, he stresses that like the 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 kind of baseline that originally coming from a John Williams quote, um, but kind of the baseline that a lot of film composers take is you trying to write a minute of music a day. He says, you know, if you're, if you're going to work on like primetime television, you're writing eight minutes of music a day. 
because you have you know two maximum three days to write the music Insane. and then it's sent and sent to you know the mixers for du- for you know du- for dubbing it's it almost as if they don't want good song. music <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, is that sort of how everything is, though, in, in, in like TV, you know, when you have shows not coming out like every, you know, it's not, it's not we're not talking about like the streaming model where, you know, like with Disney Plus, with, uh, you know, one episode a week, but it's all been taken care of beforehand, or it's not the um, like general Netflix, like we've completed everything and we dump it all at once. This is like, we start you know the next episode the day the day that the episode premieres kind of thing so you know this the music itself is rushed it's a different kind of skill he goes in depth on like why it's a totally different skill than writing for film because you're writing eight times as much a day yeah. it doesn't mean you spend eight times as many hours it's just you're do things in it you know you have to be efficient and like you can't waste time like hmm, is that the greatest idea in the world like you just put it down and you go mm. um, so different kind of skill and then also the mixing itself doesn't have as much just not as much time for mixing to take place i have a question though is it is the order different uh, of production for music on tv i actually don't know um like do you actually write music to cues or do you just uh uh you know sort of have an idea and sort of fit it to the scene you know more or less because most of the time, that's what it feels like, is that music's being fit to a scene rather than it's been written to cues. Yeah, uh, so that that does happen. So, so, and probably depends a little bit on the show and also, you know, a particular episode where they'll might, you know, the music editor may come in and say, like, you know, we're going to reuse this theme. Or you may literally be re-asked to, like, reuse something. And it also, in the effort to finish everything in time, you may just have to reuse something or, you know, with slight modifications. So, you know, some of that probably, some of that does occur, I, I think. Again, I don't have any personal experience writing for like, you know, at a big, you know, NBC show or something like that. But um, yeah, so some of that probably does occur. Uh, but also, you know, again, some of, it's, some of that's by design. Um, it's a little bit different than like, if you, if you go to Japan and you work in anime, it's a very different thing as I understand it. Basically, for that, you are given like a list of things that you need to write music for, like action scenes. You need five <laughs> different action pieces. Can confirm this is how it works from watching anime. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of people really enjoy this, though. Um, anime composers, you need you know three different like emotional sad scenes, three different happy emotional scenes, and you just write the music for them. And then it gets thrown in there by, and the music editor takes care of all of it. I actually and don't, a lot of people enjoy that. I actually don't understand. I mean, maybe I don't know. I, I, I've been watching a lot of anime recently. I don't usually enjoy it to be honest, um, from a, from a consumer music? perspective, the, uh, the like repeated music tracks every episode, basically in TV. And I'm talking about it cause in a uh, film anime, it's, completely different fully school yeah i don't i mean i might find some tracks cool in of themselves like you know if i were to go back and like go look for it and listen to it on its own um what's a good example uh dang oh death note has some really interesting music in it the first episode you can tell that 
the composer was given the first episode as the template for what kinds of music were needed. And then, you know, you get like maybe three more on top of that, three more pieces on top of that. And you say like, 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 so you're telling because like, it's like the song just fits the whole thing perfectly. It's not like a, like a movie where it feels like it's like sort of like you're, you're thinking on almost like themes. I feel like with movies, it's more about like themes, general themes. And with yeah. TV, it's more like it's about the episode. Is, is that what you're saying? Um, I'm not so much saying that. I'm saying that I'm just giving the example in terms of Death Note. The music is interesting. And in the first episode, it lands absolutely perfectly. It's a majestic episode to watch because of the music, actually, I would say. Like, I have that strong of an opinion about how the music is, uh, you know, put together with the animation. It's, it's awesome. Later on the TV show, as we go on and we kind of get a lot of these songs repeated, I mean, it's a long, not a long, long show, but it's long enough where it gets grating sometimes when you get the same track coming in for the same emotion and it's, it forces the edit to land the same beats every time, you know, and it, it gets really grating. So there are some really fantastic composers who work in anime and they, they kind of, they, they enjoy from what I've read, they enjoy the kind of like lifestyle that they get to lead because of that. Um, but literally, like, like they're not, they don't see the episode. They just write, you know, they may see like the first episode or something and, you know, to get like a sense of like the vibe of the show. They, they, they just compose something without seeing what it goes to. And it's just thrown in there. This is not how, you know, most film and even TV generally you know, you're not just like scoring emotions generally. Maybe, maybe something like long running an episode, like soap opera, might do something like that, which I'm not familiar with. But yeah, it, you know, it's it's just music was written and then thrown in there over and over again, not like tied to. It's not written for a specific scene. Just different than like an anime movie, though. Like if you watch Spirited Away or something like that, like that is you know composed scene to scene, and it's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I I love anime. I think I I think anime is uh, not. I I actually enjoy films a lot more than I I've enjoyed TV uh, in the anime space. I think I said that here on the show before, but I think uh, f- film anime is uh, potentially going to take a big space in the uh, economy of film um, in the future. It has yet to explode to the degree uh, at which I think it can. And I think it deserves to because it respects the form a lot better than uh, the Hollywood one size fits all stuff that comes out, uh, you know. So I, I'm kind of I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that there's a a medium, a sub medium that's uh, sort of carrying the torch here. Cool. I, that was the last hot take. Now I'm really happy that we have so many people who hung around and talked to us this entire episode. Like. Sometimes we have large audiences, you know, especially if we're talking about something newsworthy, like the uh, Astroworld event, um, or we're talking about um, the Alec Baldwin uh, sort of uh, debacle, all of which you can find on our channels and elsewhere if you want to check them out. A lot of times there's a lot of people sticking around the entire time. That's awesome because, you know, people listening, but not a lot of times other people, you know, chatting away. So that really warmed my heart today to see. Uh, you know, everyone uh, talking it out in the uh, chat. So thank you guys for sticking around. I don't want to cause no problems. I just want to live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters. We know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you want to talk, let's talk. But around here, make sure you're walking, your talk is constant. <laughs>